0: For broadcasting or advertising opportunities, call 1-888-303-3884 or visit wildfireradio.com and click on Contacts.
1: You are listening to The Straight Shooters, exclusively on Wildfire Radio. Subscribe to The Straight Shooters podcast on iTunes by visiting the iTunes store. And download every episode on wildfireradio.com. Now, here's Vaughn Johnson and Nick Picone, bringing you the latest and greatest in the world of professional wrestling. The Shooters Radio Universe is Warren Johnson. Well, super nerdy pet peeve uh, of my nitpicky. I, I don't think he should have been hopping over the top rope like a uh, parkour champion. You got me mad now. What is your name? Yeah, as always, with my man-man pots and pans, Nick McCone. That's me. It doesn't what your name is. You know, you got a back, nigga. I don't really know. It's like the things that you do. I'm Brian Isley. What oh, is this God. God! Is he the third man? man. The third man! What oh. the hell is going
0: on here? Straight Shooters is, the, I believe, the number one show on Wildfire Radio. I'm feeling good. No sleep, no food, no nothing. Just
1: maniacism. Well, all the spe- skeptics and all the people have a little bit of... Let me do this again. Oh, it's live, Al. Sorry. What actually happened on the show? Nothing. Give me a hell yeah! I said give me a hell yeah! What is going on, everyone out there in internet land? My name is Lawrence Johnson, and you as always, from my main man, Todd Japan, the Philly Voice, and Philly Influencer, and you are listening and watching episode 178 of The Shooters on a multitude of platforms, which I will get into in a second. But before that, Nick, how are you doing tonight, my good brother?
0: I am doing well. Uh, you know, I was looking forward to he- heading strong into 2019, and we kinda of gotta lead off with a somber note, but uh you know, it's it it's something that it's kinda of like a good thing to look back at all all the, the moments that uh mean General Colin gave to us. So in 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 that vein today hasn't been a total downer. But it, it, I'm bummed. Not, nevertheless to say I'm bummed.
1: Yeah, we'll talk about the uh the latest happenings and and the sad news and the interesting news in a little bit, but uh, yeah, it's been a you know good start off to 2019 for me personally, I guess. It's only two, been two days. It's so. good. <laughs> it's been all right. Yeah, it's good for the Eagles, too. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so like I said, we are on a multitude of platforms. First and foremost, we're on live on YouTube right now. So if you're joining us on YouTube, thank you. You can interact with us on the left side of your screen on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe and like our videos, subscribe to our channel, I should say, and watch our videos, too. We appreciate that as well. Uh, but we're also, if you're listening to us on the download, Check us out on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, SoundCloud, Spotify, and the Mothership WildfireRadio.com. We can find all 177 prior episodes of the Street Shoots. I saw Nick over the weekend put up some classic episodes, like the the one we live commentated the World Rumble from 1997, or we live commentated Backlash 2000. We can find our live commentaries. You can listen to our live commentaries. You can listen to our old ones on WildfireRadio.com. But if you want some new ones, Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash shooters radio. You can subscribe for the nominal fee of the first tier, three ninety nine per viewing or you know, whatever the terminology is. But yeah, live commentary specials. If you want more, subscribe, go to Patreon, you know, pay up a little nominal for your three ninety nine, and we'll do a live commentary special. Uh, again, Patreon.com/slash/slash Shooters Radio, and of course we have another tier. Where we can break in with our breaking news and thoughts and opinion. That's five ninety nine per patron per creation. Uh, you know, I guess the death of Mean Gene Oakland would fall under that, but we're not going to subject that to Patreon. This is too important because Mean Gene Oakland is a legend, and he deserves a show that's seen to the masses. Our tribute to, to Gene Oakland deserves to be seen by the masses because. As you may have heard earlier today, like we said, we're gonna start on a somber note. But uh Gene Oakland, born Eugene Arthur Oakland in Sisseton, I think I'm saying that right. Sisseton, South Dakota, Sisseton, South Dakota, uh passed away earlier today at the age of seventy-six, after according to ESPN, he had a uh he had a couple of kidney transplants. Uh I think it was late last year sometime or early this year, not early this year, it's 2019, but um, he had, what was it say? He had a couple of weeks ago, he had three kidney transplants and fell a few weeks ago. Oh. So he's already in, in bad health, but uh, his family announced today that he passed on uh, Wednesday today, of course, in Sarasota, F- Florida, near his home. He was in the hospital recently as well because of the surgery, the, the transplants in the, in the fall. I would assume a quote from the family after, after the transplants and the surgery and the fall, the quote from the family is that, and it just got, it just kind of went from bad to worse. So unfortunately uh, he was in bad health for a little bit of time. It wasn't in great health already. And then things got progressively worse as uh, time went on Uh, that, according to uh, ESPN, ESPN story. But uh, of course, I mean, the tributes and the memories are flooding back because, Gene Oakland is I think it's safe to say the best interviewer ever in wrestling. Last year we lost the best manager ever, undisputed, and Bobby Heenan. And or I guess twenty seventeen, I guess we lost Bobby Heenan. But twenty nineteen, we started off by losing I would say, yeah, the best interviewer ever in Gene Oakland. I
0: I wouldn't disagree with you at all. And uh I think <laughs> comparing, you know, I'm always wary of doing it. But uh, I don't think there's anyone you can compare Gene Oakland to because he was just that much above what we've seen since. And even what we saw before of what's available before he came on along in the AWA. Um, So uh, he just made everything like he's part of the reason why I felt like when I started watching wrestling that it was real. Like he had that element of realness to it, which is the same thing Bobby Heenan did and uh, even Gorilla Monsoon. Sometimes it's like it's probably why Tony Schiavone was my favorite WCW announcer. And like he he had an answer for everything almost. And it just seemed like Gene Erklund had an answer for everything. And he would laugh off uh, you know the ridiculousness of heels. And um, you know just he was a real character um, that made me think that everything that was happening was real. And whether he was, like, over the top with it or not. It was just, like, he he got the best out of everyone he interviewed.
1: And uh, you, you talk about the realism that Gene Oakland brought to, you know, pro, pro wrestling. That's because he was a legit broadcaster at one point. He, he, like I said, born in South Dakota, but eventually went to University of Nebraska and got his first, pretty much his first radio, his first gig at a radio station, K-O-I-L, in Omaha, Nebraska, and eventually moved on, started working with, Pretty much broken from there, with the AWA. That's where wrestling fans became to know him in the seventies. Uh, in the AWA, interviewing, of course, Vern Gagne and Nick Bockwinkel and the likes. And he, because he's working, I think he's working for a TV station in Minnesota. I'm not totally sure. Uh, let me see here. This is according to Wikipedia, so but I think yeah, he he moved to Minneapolis to work for a local TV station, and in the front office, technically. But of course, that makes sense because back in the day, television wrestling on television was done at television studios a lot of times, and a lot of times the the microphone guys, the guys who commentate the matches or do the backstage interviews, were guys that were already working at the TV station. And I guess Gene Oakland was one of those guys who, like I, you know, like a Lance Russell also, and you know many others in that realm. It's like, hey, why don't you do the wrestling stuff? And he was doing that and. From there, he just took off, and of course, AWA was a big time promotion back in the '70s and into the early '80s, and a lot of people saw Gene Oakland, and he, and of course, he caught the eye of Vince McMahon, who also, you know, he took a lot of talent from AWA, namely Hulk Hogan, uh, and so me Gene Oakland saw the the birth and you know the burgeoning, the very infancy stages of Hulkamania in the AWA. Pretty much went with him to to WWF, yeah. and the rest is history. He became a legend, legendary figure. That that whole decade of the '80s, essentially, from you know Hulk Hogan's run to the Macho Man to the Warrior to you know all the tag teams, Andre the Giant, all that stuff. He was there for it. He was the the backstage voice of that era into the '90s, even of course with WCW when it he was yeah. went there, uh, and of course he's. Recently with WWE, he was still with WWE doing the voiceovers for like the WWE Storytime show on um, WWE Network, and he he did quit the Legends House before that, right? But um, so he was still active and still doing a lot, involved in a lot of different things in wrestling. Of course, he wasn't on TV as much, but he was still, you know, like I would assume making appearances and of course doing voiceover gigs with WWE. But yeah, the, the the man's status as a legend, and of course he's in the Hall of Fame, WWE Hall of Fame, and probably various other Hall of Fames as well. Uh, is firmly cemented, but I, I want to ask you, Nick. What What do you think, besides just the you know the, the realism he brought to? What do you think made Gene Oakland so great, and as an interviewer?
0: I really think it had to do, at least for me personally, but I maybe for a lot of other people, maybe even you, the fact that every, the people that he was interviewing. Legitimized him in a way, you know. Always going the well. Let me tell you something, me and Gene or Rick Flair's woo, me and Gene like that.
1: I think
0: I think that maybe that wasn't the only thing, but that really helped me like kind of fall in love with the guy. Like it was like he was an important figure. He was like that really gave off the impression that he was the best interviewer because the the guys he was interviewing were kind of like putting him over in a way and. Just uh, when Hulk Hogan had the heel turn at Bash at the Beach and the the realism that came from him, like going to the ring and kind of in Hogan's face, like, what the hell are you doing? you know, you didn't really see that from and you, you don't see that now from interviewers uh, backstage at WWE or really any other promotion. Um, so, and I don't even know if you really saw it back then, you know. I didn't follow Gene to WCW, you know, like I was a WWF guy. I've said it on this podcast before. So really I started paying attention during the Hogan heel turn and some of that stuff to like weekly WCW shows. So that's where like I kind of got back into that and I was like, wow, like Gene Oakland's funny, you know, he, he does what he does. I was a kid, I was like ten years old. But growing up and, and, and appreciating just what he brought, you know, like everyone he interviewed made it known that Gene was he deserved answers almost. You know, like they would answer to him, they wouldn't answer to anyone else because Gene would ask the tough questions and demand tough answers. And that's kind of how it came across. And it had nothing to do with the whole hotline thing. Like he would always plug the hotline, but that didn't even like bother me at all. And I, I that was like when I talk about over the top or whatever, it just that might have been like the the comedy over the top thing that I remember him for uh with the hotline, but man, he was just like he, no nonsense. He just went right after the the guys he interviewed and girls he interviewed. And I just think that's really what legitimized him.
1: Yeah, you, you mentioned like he went after people. He he, he there's a lot of different things that made him great that especially in WWE that interviewers lack today. He had personality. Yeah. He, he was more than just an introducing so and so and then asked him one question, they answer it and then the person they, walks walk, they away walked on and then they stared. They're standing there looking dumb. Like, uh, well, okay then. Like, And that's almost, I don't know, maybe they still, do, I don't know if they still do. I haven't been watching WWE intently lately. But for the last, like, I don't know, decade, they've been doing that every mm-hmm. single week on every single television show. And it just makes you yearn for the days of a Gene Oakland who had personality. He would ask follow up questions. What a novel yeah. concept. He would admonish heels. When they did something yeah. wrong, he would say, that's not good. Like, the classic example, when the NWO formed at Bash of the Beast 96, he was in the ring like, yo, Hulk, what happened? Like, <laughs> he needed answers. He got to an answer for this. Like, it, this is but, not right. And then, you know, Hulk. And it only made Hulk Hogan an even bigger heel than what he already was. People were already throwing you know? trash in the ring, but it only added to it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Gene... Only added, and he he reacted. He reacted to the people that he was interviewing. So when Macho Man would do ridiculous stuff, he was like, "Whoa, what the? What in the (laughs) world?" Like,
0: just (laughs) I'm gonna call my lawyer. Like that was my favorite line.
1: Like, it was some massive thing. He was just reacting because that's how human beings act. Instead of right, exactly, just stand there and go, "Oh, okay, That that wasn't cool." But Gene would say stuff. He would like make it. He would make faces. He would go, "Oh boy, here we go!" Like <laughs> yeah. just do little things. But it would actually. He wouldn't. It would never bury the talent. It would only put them over exactly. because it would, you know, make their. It would, It would. He. Had, they had somebody to play off of, and of course, like you said, the interviews with Ric Flair when he Ric Flair stripped down to his underwear, and um, they were made all the more better because. Mean Gene was reacting. He would just stand there and watch McFlurry take his underwear off and L and D drop his, his slacks, his pleated slacks in the ring. He'd be like, "Yo, what in the hell is going on here?" And then, of course, with Macho Man, he'd take the cup of tea and and jot the cup of tea. I just saw one today. I forget who posted it off top of my head. I think it was actually Howard Eskin of all people. Oh wow! <laughs> YouTube link of Macho Man poured candy on like, "Not yeah, pouring this it's... cup of candy on you." He's like, "Bro, please, no." He's like. <laughs> <laughs> please don't do that and there's another one he's sitting poolside at uh his house i guess and the lady jumps in the pool that all like, oh, this stuff happens every day get her out of here <laughs> me gene it's like it's it's classic stuff not just because macho man is a great promo not just because hulk hogan was such a great promo or rick flair it's because also gene was there playing off of that and putting those guys over at the same time so he had one-liners he was he was funny. People, like you said, he had credibility with the people because he was a human being, and also he just he brought the air of professionalism. And he was allowed to be a broadcaster. He wasn't just a like a uh, a stick person holding the microphone and saying the same stuff over and over again. Right. He sounded like a broadcaster. He could easily sound like he could go from interviewing people at a WWF show to being like a sideline reporter at a football game. Mm. Like it, it, it wasn't like that would have been a disconnect for him. It would have he sounded like someone who came straight off the sideline at a basketball game or a football game yep. or whatever. So, he, he, like I said, he had all the credibility in the world, and, of course, he was super talented and highly entertaining. I, I always remember the uh, the gobbledygooker debut where he <laughs> yeah. was like, you know, that pair, that thing's got a pair of legs like my mother-in-law, pal. Like, <laughs> let me tell you, like, how stupid is that? But, it, but, again, if that was today with one of the, the interviewers from today, they wouldn't say a word, they'd just be in there. Uh-huh. They probably wouldn't even be in there. They're just like, Get out of there, like, we, we don't even need you. Mm-hmm. But and then, of course, Gene Oakland did the whole uh, I don't know what that dance is called. The um, the did the doci do, doci do, yeah. Do-si-do. Oh, do-si-do. yeah you know what I'm talking yeah. about man. I don't, I don't, you know, we don't, we don't do that in the hood. We don't do the doci do <laughs> in the hood, all right. So, I don't know. But uh, going out in these streets and give me no fam, not me, not the kid. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, Gene, he, he was he was um, just like I said, I, I almost put it on Twitter. I thought about it, but I, it's really legend is understating. mean, Gene O'Glen, he was the best. He was the best interviewer ever.
0: He really was, and th- he didn't only help the main event talent. You know, like he, you know, mid card talent that he interviewed. Yeah, he still had those one liners. But it's not, you know, today we we kind of see how. WWE doesn't let their talent get over organically. It's like they don't want it to happen almost. And if it does, they they almost try to quash it in a way. He, even if it was like one-liners, it, it was stuff that the talent would be able to react to. Like he wasn't, Mean Gene wasn't scripted. You know, like he well, kind no of went out there and, you know, react. Like you, you said it perfectly. He reacted to the talent and the talent reacted to him. And I think that's what made it so entertaining. And I think that's what made him legitimate as an interviewer because he didn't just like sit back and take one answer. Like he would go at him and be like, well, why'd you do this? Or what, what the hell's up with that? And that's what you're thinking on the other end, watching the program. You're like, well, am I going to get answers? You know, even yes, it's pro wrestling, but even as a kid, that's how wrestling was kind of written back then. Like you would get answers and the interviewers would ans- would ask the questions that you were thinking in your head at home. And that, that's always what Gene Oakland did, you know, like this with me in WWF. And then when he went to WCW, uh, I did, you know, like I said, it didn't follow him there, but you know, a couple of years afterwards, when the whole NWO thing became big, he was a- asking the questions that I was thinking at home. And I think that really helped me gain more respect for him at the time, but he, he was my favorite interviewer in WWF and, and, I kind of i I wish I did kind of move with him to wCW to at least watch like Saturday night or something like that because you know he debuted in WCW on a Saturday night episode and uh you know he was a big part of their t- TV programs you know he was always interviewing he he had a lot of camera time so I, I only can think about what I missed on that side th- those two or three years of wCW that I didn't see uh, you know it's just one of those uh, thought processes I have that, man, like there's probably still so much content of Mean Gene out there that I haven't seen yet that yeah, maybe man. a lot of us haven't seen yet. And, yeah, he's due to interviews
1: on the stage, on Nitro, yeah. and it's always important. Like When Gene talked to somebody, it, was, it wasn't it was like some run-of-the-mill It was like a, an right. important thing, typically. Uh,
0: yeah, when Eric Bischoff got suspended in 97, it was one of those ramp interviews in front of the Nitro sign you know, with Mean Gene and then Harvey Schiller came down like Big moments happen in that spot, right? all because of Mean Gene and what he brought to it.
1: Also, of course, like I said, Mean Gene, as great as he was, is also part of some funny moments in history. He's also, you know, you've probably seen it in Botchamania a million times when the SummerSlam yeah. sign fell on him his back, and he just let it rip because, hey, who else, who, why wouldn't you react that way? What the, whatever, like he said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hysterical. Or, I think this is kind of lost. In the Booker T promo, we talk about Hulk Hogan. Bean Gene yeah. was the one interviewing him. Yeah. Bean Gene was so good at his job that he got Booker T to say the N word on television. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like it was nothing. Like he just out said it and it was like he got him so wrapped up and so caught up in that moment. And they're like Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you. <laughs> and, uh, and Gene didn't flinch. <laughs> he just said it. Booker T was like, oh boy. And then he went straight to the next thing with the Stevie Ray, I guess it was. Like it went straight to him as Sherry is consoled. Yeah. Now consoled, that's a professional, uh, right
0: there. Consoled a uh, booker T.
1: <laughs> 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 That was hysterical. Oh, by the way, we got Enoe Lara in the chat. Uh, she, you know, he said hello. Just, hey, Enoe e. Lara, and asked, What are your thoughts on the Tony Storm incident? I, I'm not familiar with the Tony Storm incident. Are you familiar? An incident, no, but maybe I'll uh, uh she did it. I Wrestling Inc says she's deleted deletes accounts. Uh, what did she do? Let's see here. Uh, according to Wrestling Inc, victim of a personal hack online. Oh no, hmm. she got hacked. Oh yeah. boy, sucks. Well, yeah, we, I did not hear about that. Uh, that I sucks. Guess,
0: I guess there were. If she was hacked, I guess her messages posted.
1: So some private ones, yeah, private messages leaked yeah. online. This two days ago, apparently.
0: Well,
1: oh. that's no fun. Not at all. Yeah. So that sucks, but no, we didn't. Uh, didn't hear about that. Mm. But uh, that sucks with Tony Storm, and I hope she can get her uh, Twitter and Instagram accounts situation straightened out. Because I know me, I use social media like every day. Uh, so if I didn't have to, if I didn't look on Twitter, I don't know what I would do on like a SEPTA or something like that when I'm on my way to and from work. Yeah, right. I just look at it just casually, just throw through, where do I I, I get my news from? A newspaper? Get out (laughs) of (laughs) here. But with that said, support your local newspapers and, uh, your local media outlets because they need, they need the support. Uh, I'm just kidding about the whole. Yeah, there's still uh, some really great journalism out there locally. Of course, of course. Uh, but back, back to me, Gene. Um. Yeah, I think we've said, I don't know, you can't really say enough. I
0: bet right. And you know what? And I I wasn't around for his a lot of his 80s stuff and uh so, cuz I started watching in in 1990. His WWF stuff was great, but man, like from everything that I've watched over the years, I'm not going to say it's a given, but I strongly believe in my opinion, even like his WCW stuff might have been even better than his WWF stuff, just based off. Oh man, the sheer he, like I,
1: he, he I don't had wanna, with Macho Man and Hulk Hogan in WWF. <laughs> I guess they had Hulk Hogan in WCW too, especially when he was a heel and Gene Okerlund was just disgusted yeah. with him on a weekly basis. <laughs> and the Rick Flair stuff in WCW was hysterical as well. Yeah, he,
0: he was never afraid to talk crap to guys twice the size. It was the funniest thing. Like when you said when he when he. Confronted Hulk Hogan in the ring at Bash of the Beach '96. Holland and Nash were in the ring, and he's like, "How could you uh, align yourselves with the likes of these guys?" (laughs) Like, like right? He's like in the war zone. He's you know throwing fire. Like, if he was if he was gonna go out, he was gonna go out in a blaze of glory at Bash of the Beach with like a power bomb or something. As far
1: as I can remember, they never laid hands on Gene. For one, they they, they like
0: they grabbed his jack, Maybe not that night, but like over the course of Nitros and Thunders, they. Probably grabbed his jacket, but that's—I think—that's the most uh, I've ever seen them do. Yeah, but he—he he, he, he actually did it at the end of uh, that promo. I think Hogan did it. He was like grabbing his jacket. Yeah, shirt, but,
1: credibility. You didn't really yeah, get hands on you exactly. know that much. The only, but another moment I remember uh, was when he was still in the AWA, and this clip was going around a lot today. When Andre the Giant put his big old mitt on the opening <laughs> face and just covered and just submerged his face in his hand. And I seen it in a documentary, too, the Andre the Giant documentary. It's it's probably in part of the trailers, and, of course, it's in the documentary itself. It's just, you know, a a, a testament to how massive Andre the Giant was. But, Mm. of course, that's Gene Oakland on his face getting smothered by Andre the Giant's massive hand. And it's just, you know, just another another moment in history that Gene Oakland was a part of that us as wrestling fans, young and old, got to see. And I know I saw a lot of people because, you know, again, you said it. Oakland and the WWF, you know, was little before my time because I you know, I didn't really start watching until the mid to late nineties. Mm-hmm. He was already in WCW by that point. But for them, especially in WWF, he was the voice of a lot of people's childhood growing up when there was backstage interviews and you never tell you something mean, Gene, and and of course the the Macho Man interviews. And of course I saw him in WCW in the nineties. But I want to say he was like Jim Ross would say would like be the voice of my childhood because I watched more WWF than I did WCW. But of course, as I've grown up, I've gone back and watched a lot of that stuff. You know, Oakland, there's none better as an interviewer than Gene Oakland. He was, like I said, he had personality. He was a, he, he admonished heels, which only helped the heels. Uh, he, you know, the bay faces always acknowledged him. They always liked Gene Oakland. So that, you know, that helped his credibility. And he was, he was great. He was fantastic. So I think yeah.
0: he was the uh, interviewer with Bret Hart, too, when uh, the, who, the infamous, who are you to doubt, to doubt L. Dandy? Uh, <laughs> even just random stuff like that like so ridiculous and it was on like a saturday night i think i don't even think it was on a nitro or thunder i think it was like on wcw saturday night and uh it was like one of the just there are moments like that where there's probably so many that we even we haven't seen yet or gone back and watched oh, yet. so how
1: about rumble 92 and his interview and rick flair after yeah. you the title Rick Flair is all with a tear in my eye and all that, but Gene Oakland suddenly put that cigarette out. Like who (laughs) had a cigarette?
0: (laughs) I have that. uh, So I started a thread on Twitter with some some of my favorite moments, and I'm going to keep adding to it. And that's like I think my second video down where, (laughs) and and then you know he he goes back to Rick Flair, and then he looks back off camera and he like you know points at him or like. I was like, you better put that down, or something like that. <laughs> you know, just like the body language, it was so great. If he didn't say anything, the body language said it for him. And that's a we don't even see body language nowadays. You know, no, with interviewers, stuff like that, there's nothing.
1: It's literally it is a shame 'cause because we can recite it precisely. Uh, Here is my guess. Seth Rollins, and Seth Rollins walks in usually from the left side of the screen, or the right side of the screen, if, you, if you're watching it, but from the left side of the camera, and they ask him one question, he answers it, because a very long answer, and then he walks off, because suddenly he has something to do all of a sudden. He <laughs> and they don't throw it back to anybody, just stand there and look, and or they don't look at the camera even. they just go, huh, profound, that was, hmm. or they just look, like, terrified, because it's his heel, it's like, oh my god, what did he, why would he say that? Like, But they don't say anything, it's just and yep. that's it. Yep. But instead, is back to you, Gorilla. <laughs> yeah. That was perfect because that's what broadcasters do. And guess what? Exactly, was—he was a legit broadcaster. So it was those
0: fi- finer things that you know we—I guess we took for granted back then.
1: Yeah, we did because we saw it all the time. We saw it at every other walk of television. Oh. So of course we expected it to happen in wrestling too. Right. But for whatever reason, WWE just doesn't believe in that. Whatever. Uh. But. Rest in peace, to Mr. Gene Oakland. Rest in peace. And you know, celebrate and just enjoy the, the, the all the f- footage that we have of Gene Oakland because he's still, you know, what did it say, Sandlock? Uh, what's the saying that the uh, baby says? The yeah, legends uh, never die something like that. Yeah, it's true. Hero, hero,
0: heroes get remembered; legends never die.
1: Straight up, because we got all this stuff to go back and watch Gene Oakland, and among you know, of course, we got other. You can do that with pretty much everyone that we watched growing up, but especially Gene Oakland because he was again in my opinion and i think a lot of people would agree the best interviewer of all time
0: yeah
1: 100% all right so that was breaking news that happened today um uh, that shocked the wrestling world and you mm. know caused a lot of people to mourn but also celebrate uh you know the life of a legend but a day ago yesterday a day ago really at midnight <laughs> January 1st, the news broke, you know, because it became official that we're going to get a new wrestling promotion in the United States. We've been talking about it for weeks and for months. It's been reported on for weeks and months. But it's official. All Elite Wrestling, AEW, is happening. And Cody Rhodes, the Young Bucks, all the people that were the elite that are free agents, <laughs> except Marty Scurll, essentially, because uh, he's still ring of honor. But Cody and the Bucks, I think Christopher Daniels is involved. He's on the poster or whatever. And Kazarian, Adam Page, they're going all in, no pun intended, Ah, no pun intended, with All Elite Wrestling. It's official, and they're going to have a show. They've announced a sequel of sorts to All In, which happened in September. It's going to be called Double or Nothing. Now, they didn't say where it's going to be or, you know, you know, when it's going to be, but just know that it's happening. That's number one. And they're going to have a rally of sorts, a pep rally of sorts, uh, for double or nothing, January 8th. So that is next Monday in Jacksonville at TI Bank, TIAA Bank Field in Jacksonville, in the parking lot, it looks like, in front of the West Club at TIAA Bank Field. Now, why is that interesting? Why is that a thing, right? Why is it happening at the Jacksonville Jaguars Stadium? Well, because among the executives of this new promotion, Cody Rhodes is uh, essentially overseeing it. He's like a you know vice president or whatever. Or, you know, he's a um, he's a producer or something like that, executive producer. Uh, but regardless. Yeah, they're executive vice presidents of the promotion. Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson, Cody Rhodes. But the main executive, the money man of sorts, <clears throat> behind all of this is none other than Tony Khan. Who's, as, who's Tony Khan? If you're a football fan, you're familiar with the Khan family because Tony Khan's father is Shad Khan. Tony Khan is the president of All Elite Wrestling by the way. Shot Khan is the owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars and that family is worth billions of dollars. And Tony Khan in particular is an executive with the Jaguars. See, Shot Khan is let me make sure his official title. He's the owner. Tony Khan is the let me get this straight up here so i can read it straight from the website senior vice president of football administration and technology of the jaguars hmm. and he also is a executive with fulham fc which is a team of soccer team over in europe uh he is the vice chairman and director of football operations of course football over there soccer but it's football uh but yeah it's this is a deal (laughs) this is a deal this ain't just like oh wrestlers we're starting an independent promotion no they they got some money behind it because apparently because I've been told this you know from people who have been around the Jaguars uh, recently that Tony Khan is a big wrestling fan so he's no pun intended all in on this they gotta fans. stop
0: with that. You, I, you I were def- don't. Mean- you are definitely intending puns. I,
1: n- not at this point. I'm really, honestly not. <laughs> <laughs> honestly not. But at the very least, there's a lot of money behind this. But they had some talent. They got some fanfare, and now they have something that not many other people could get, and that's a billion dollar backer, essentially. Who's willing to invest? I, you know, I would assume millions of dollars into this. Nick, what are your thoughts on all of this? There's a lot to unpack here. The,
0: the funny thing is, this morning I sat down, and it's been a little over a year, or about a year, since I last wrote on my Medium.com page. If you remember that, I used to plug that on on the podcast, and I would write here and there about certain topics. And I was going to write about my thoughts on all elite wrestling and what I what I could see as, as a possibility of the future and how they definitely can uh, maybe like certain steps, uh, baby steps they could take to become a th- not a threat but like a compar- comparable second to WWE in a year or two, and then maybe directly compete with them down the line, possibly. Uh, then the news of Mean Jean passing away broke, so uh, I still have that going. I'm going to continue that uh, throughout this week, so hopefully by the weekend I'll have that completely finished. Just like my in-depth thoughts on All Elite and all this stuff going on. But my, my main takeaway is that if they got money they, they and they have a schedule that benefits guys that in a similar situation, would we'll go from WWF to WCW because of the lighter schedule. Why wouldn't they have the chance to sign some of the top names of WWE to give them legitimacy once their contracts come up? Now, yes, it's an uphill battle, and everything's an uphill battle now when when you start a wrestling promotion. But Cody's he took the the path of like a Matt Hardy to to become really popular on the independents. Uh, the Young Bucks are, you know, uh, a, one of the greatest tag teams in the world. Uh, so I think it's a good start. I, I think they have the minds necessary that they already ran a big show in September. Just them. I, yeah, Ring of Honor helped, but it was kind of like their brain power that really threw that event. The production. I don't really necessarily equate that to brain power, but they—they they have. I, I think they have the foundation to really. First of all, they're going to eclipse Impact Wrestling. That, uh, like, I think right away, quickly. <laughs> uh, maybe not right away, but quickly. Uh, I think uh, right away. <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't
1: disagree with that, but unless uh, they complete, unless I think their first show, there will be like. More than what impact could draw anywhere. Like, and that's not a knock against impact, it's just what it is at
0: this point. Well, I I mean, they're currently searching for a TV deal. Their first TV deal is probably going to be a lot better than impacts anyway. I mean, Um, I would assume, um, but I was going to say, I listened to Sean Ross Sapp talk about it, friend of the show, fightful.com. Uh, that wgn America has emerged as kind of like a, a top candidate for uh a TV show for all elite wrestling. And oh. I think that would that would probably be best case scenario, I think, the, for the Cody pre-show,
1: the pre-show for All In was on W right. Exactly. So they got some connections there. They have some type of relationship there. So that would make sense. Yeah, and you know, Ring of
0: Honor spent forever in, in syndication. They're still in syndication. They're not in the Philly area on syndication anymore, at least where I live. They used to be, but they're not anymore. So Ring of Honor is kind of like eh, like teetering on that. They're still the second biggest company in the U.S., but I mean, can All Elite really usurp them in that? I absolutely oh, believe they can. That's tough. Maybe not in a year, but if they get the talent, they have the money backing them. And it's got to be like a real investment from Khan. Like, he can't change his mind a year or two into it. Like, he's got to see this through because we've seen a lot of wrestling promotions. It's like Impact started as TNA, and TNA was, you know, they had those two hour weekly pay per views starting out. So that was like good content, I think. Like, their wrestling shows were good, they had good talent. Uh, in 2019, will it be more. S- social media driven, like will, will their programs, will will the company be kind of like a old school type company? I don't really think so. So I think their main thing is that TV deal. And if they get top talent and I think creatively and and wrestling wise, I think they'll be fine. I think they will be a lot better than WWE that I think they won't exactly. And maybe even in TNA, Jeff Jarrett was kind of like all over things a little bit too much. Hopefully I have a good feeling that this group won't allow creative differences to kind of kind of saturate everything, you know, like guys really popular push him as the face of the company, like just become popular. I don't know how exactly you do that, but you definitely need a TV deal and you need to, you need some top stars. And if they have the money, I don't think it's going to be
1: that hard to to get top stars. Well, like we said it multiple times, to got a family behind them in the con family, at least with Tony Khan, that it's worth billions of dollars. And they have they already have experience and I guess infrastructure. I guess, you know, if if they wanna I don't know if he'll take someone from a foot the football team or the soccer team to help out, but they have experience in building, you know, or at least maintaining a brand. Let me just say that. Uh, so that helps. That's something that I mean. Yeah, Sinclair Broadcasting, a lot of money, but you know it's different. It's a media company as opposed to like a, a property that you're the brand that you're trying to expand and grow. Two different types of types of things. Uh, for, they got some ta- They got star power already with Cody Rhodes and Young Bucks, and people will support them. Just the same thing as they did with All In. They want to see them succeed. The people will go out of their way, at least at first to help them succeed, and that's buying tickets, that's watching whatever product they put out there on a regular basis, whether it's a TV show or an internet show, whatever the case may be. They will get support up front. Now, it's one thing to do it once a year with All In, and you draw 10,000 people because this is once, you know, this is annual special show that doesn't come around, but once a year. It's another thing to do it on a consistent basis, week after week. They could be maybe, possibly, you know, th- that law of diminishing returns where you can't do all in every week, can't do all in every month. That's only once a year. What about everything else in between that? How, how do they like so how do they map out their schedule? Are they running three or four shows a night like WWE or are they only running maybe or are they running more of a ring of honor schedule where they do like house shows like or like like television, like once a month and they tape it all like one weekend or, or, or they do house shows like two or three weekends a month, something like that. Or are they doing an impact schedule where they don't really want to house shows? They just have television tapings or something like that. You know, how do they map that out? Where do they get more talent from? Are they going to be in bidding wars with talent from that potentially could be leaving WWE or New Japan? Speaking of New Japan, they're trying to get a relationship with New Japan. How does that affect Ring of Honor, who also has a relationship with New Japan? And also, Ring of Honor is already signed on to do the Crockett Cup with the NWA as well. Yeah. So, I kind of like that though, is that the, the, the promotions Absolutely, are working together. Yeah. I've always been a uh, proponent of that, wish WWE would do it and make this whole wrestling thing pop like it used to do back in the day. But in the meantime, it's cool to have Ring of Honor working with NWA and Ring of Honor working with New Japan and New Japan working with All Elite. Maybe All Elite can work with Ring of Honor. They're all friends, right? You know, I would assume they went out on amicable terms. So there's a lot of things in their favor. I'm curious to see how they map out their touring schedule, if they have a touring schedule. But the big thing to me is the distribution. I think they can get talent. Especially if you throw enough money at somebody and if they have enough money at their disposal to throw and if they can throw it, people will sign on. I think people trust Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks cuz they also they are also wrestlers and they also and they, and they somehow got this billion dollar family behind them who are who, you know obviously they know something about business. And like this it's just Cody and the Young Bucks. Mm-hmm. They got the financial backing too, the investment, the financial investment. But the distribution of the product, how does that happen? Right? They did they get a lot to get you know they got, like I said, the pre-show for All In on WGN. They got the show on, I think it was on pay-per-view, right? And they had it on Fight TV. Because at first that wasn't the case. It was just going to be a live event, and that was it. Right. But then as time went on, they announced the pay-per-view. They announced the Fight TV thing and, and the WGN thing for the pre-show. So they obviously can get things done. But again, can you do that for a, you know, on a regular basis? This is a once quote-unquote, once-in-a-lifetime or once-a-year type of show, so that people more apt to jump on board with that instead of a commitment to something that's probably 52 weeks a year or maybe a little bit less. Again, we'll see, but I think that's a big thing because especially if you get someone to pay for your television rights, that's a revenue stream <laughs> that a lot of big businesses like WWE, like the NFL, like the NBA, NASCAR, you name it, they all benefit from that. Does that? That's a huge revenue stream. And I don't think they're going to get billions of dollars, but if they get millions of dollars from, I don't know, name a network. I don't know. Probably Spike. like
0: Paramount. <laughs> yeah,
1: or TNT or TBS, which would be yeah.
0: got back in the game. It really would.
1: If they got some money from somebody to, to for the television rights, that would be to me. That would be I won't say a game changer, but that'd be a big deal to me. If they were able to get a television partner. Because I know some people are like, oh, you don't need TV. Just do it through the internet. That's how they did being the elite. Yeah, but how much money can you make off of that? that can you make enough money to help support a wrestling promotion that's going to be somewhat large in scale? Maybe an independent promotion, yeah. But like a, a real promotion, like a major promotion off of YouTube money? And off of Twitch money? Uh, I don't know. I don't see that happening. So. TV deal, though, it's a contract. It's guaranteed. You sign that paper, you guarantee to get that money every year. I think both of and us have advertising. been on board. And advertising like,
0: yeah, and I think both of us have been on board with, like, a TV deal is probably still, in 2019, uh, the most important thing for a wrestling company. Uh, like, we talked about Impact. we talked about Ring of Honor. Like, that's, I still think, the most viable option to long-term compete with the biggest company in the world at least for talent, you know, like you might not be competing financially, uh, like have the same numbers they do, like bottom line, but you can offer talent the same amount, maybe a little more, less dates. That's where the competition starts to come into play.
1: Yeah, that's still a big deal. And, And even in 2019 with the internet and streaming as big as it is, I just saw a stat today that the NFL streaming went up like the, the audience on the streaming services went up 86% this season. Hello, like yeah. 86%. So, obviously, there's plenty of room to grow for any property looking to get into the streaming side of things of their distribution. But TV isn't just, it's not only are I, there are still a lot of people watching TV, it's, it could be a revenue stream. That's, yes, I think that's the most important thing.
0: And I wonder because you know I have Xfinity, or whatever. Like I have an iPad. I watch my Xfinity s- sometimes on my iPad. So I still have cable, but I'm technically streaming it. So I wonder if that 86% is like tied to not I all think, of it, but I think
1: uh, that might be. If you got like, like maybe at least if you had, part like, of it, ESPN Plus, something like that, and you're watching, let's say Monday Night Football. Mm-hmm. ESPN Plus. You can't watch Monday Night Football on ESPN Plus unless you have an ESPN subscription on cable. Right. So, and I would assume that those networks or whoever has streaming services, service, uh, streaming services, yeah. they count the number of people watching the service. So whether it's ESPN or whether it's NFL's app, which I know I watch. You if I'm on my way to work or whatever, and before I was with the Eagles, I was watching it on my way to work a lot. I'm watching, you know, football on my phone. If you know, if I got service or whatever or through yeah. thanks to Verizon, and I know I'm not the only one that does that, uh, so yeah, and if and not just it's not just phone, it's tablets, it's computers, because if you might have YouTube TV, or you might have a Sling Box. I don't, I don't know anybody has a Sling Box, but somebody might. But uh, so yeah, that's still a thing that you can potentially do. But I still think TV is still a viable option because not because not again the audience is there, but also because. It's a potential revenue stream if you can get somebody to pay you for the TV time because, you know, pay for your rights because there are times where you are essentially paying to be on the station. <laughs> You're paying for the time and right. you, you, might, you might not get even a cut of the advertising revenue. Whereas the, 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 the deal is they can go to the table and say, hey, we have this many followers on social media, our YouTube show is in this many numbers. We just drew 10,000 people at a show last year. We got this many buys on pay-per-view. We had this many people watch the WGN fight, uh, the WGN pre-show. We had this many people watch on Fight TV. They can present all that stuff to the table as leverage and say, hey, this is why you want to buy in, no pun intended again, <laughs> and be all in to all elite wrestling. That's what I would do if I was, you know, and I no Wizard when it comes to getting television contracts, but I, that seems like obvious thing to do is to present all the things you've done in the last year Internet wise, live event wise, pay per view wise, and then say, hey, give us money and we'll be on your network. Yeah. And,
0: you know, maybe that's part of I'm really looking forward to, you know, what other details they, that come out for double or nothing. What is it, the 8th? The 8th. So uh, yeah, we still Wednesday. got a little, little less than a week. So is it
1: Wednesday? Or is it Tuesday? Your
0: Wednesday. So Tuesday, it's Tuesday. I'm sorry. Yeah. Next yeah. Tuesday. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that might, I don't think it's going to answer all of our questions, but I think we'll have a, a good uh, podcast of maybe the the first direction that they're, they're going to go. Like, I don't even think there's a date set, right, for uh, Double or Nothing. I don't think.
1: No, they didn't. That's all. I'm going to look at the. Uh, it,
0: I think the only date was that was set was for that rally that you were talking right. about. So, so
1: they um, might announce a date at the rally.
0: Right, you would, you would think. I'm, I'm hoping they would, but, um, you know, there there have been rumors that Chris Jericho is involved. You know, like uh, how going to be a talent? Is it going to be behind the scenes? Is it going to be both? You know, like I'm really really looking forward to seeing, uh, we, because that would make sense. Chris Jericho hasn't been, you know, he he's been floating around New Japan. Uh, you know, he's not in WWE. Like he, it makes sense that he would be a part of it. You know, like he, I don't see him coming back to WWE for nothing less than like, I guess a main event spot, like 2019. Does he really need that in WWE? Probably not. So I'm, I'm more interested in what he can do outside of WWE nowadays, especially with, you know, his work with at Wrestle Kingdom last year and it, like it, it, what's going to come this year. You know, I'm just really looking forward to seeing what role he has within all this.
1: Yeah. It's it's, it's going to be interesting to see which talent goes where, if, you know, especially if whoever, if, if anyone leaves WWE, who goes to all Elite wrestling or who leaves ring of honor, or who leaves new Japan, like, you know, what talent can they get? And from where can they get it? It's one thing is to have the elite around and to have, you know, a couple guys like Christopher Daniels, or Frankie Kazarian, but, it might take another big name to come in and really set this thing on fire. Yeah. Who's that? I don't know. You know, when we'll, time will tell. Uh, this, like I said, this rally that's coming up next Tuesday is going to be a big deal. I don't know if they're going to air this anyway. I don't know. Th- did they say that at all? Whether they're going to air I, it somewhere? I didn't. I didn't. Because uh... you would assume people want to see this rally, right? So I would assume yeah. that they're going to live stream this or some capacity. Uh, I would imagine. Um, there's gonna be a meet and greet. We know that. <laughs> oh. <cool. laughs> uh so we know that. Uh and and merch and stuff like that. So but no announcement of like a streaming of of the rally itself. But uh is this good for pro wrestling, do you think?
0: hundred percent. I think uh <laughs> And lately, I've been thinking. We talked about how how great wrestling is, like how how accessible a, a lot of the the really good to great wrestling is nowadays. That maybe is it becoming oversaturated to a degree. Is that why there's no clear cut number number two? Like, yeah, Ring of Honor is the number two, but you know, like I can't get on board with their TV. Like for a year watching it. You know, literally nothing happens. So we need, we kind of need something that if there's a weekly TV program, we need something sustainable, something that makes me want to watch every week. Are, are there too many promotions that really like no one can get over the other because they're all, all on top of each other? Uh, I think that's a fair question. I'm not sure I buy into that completely yet that it's too saturated. But I could absolutely see. I I think All Elite is the first chance that a company could really have to leapfrog Ring of Honor in the long term and give a serious run to WWE, only because of the money they have. And maybe that's just short sighted, and maybe like I'm not looking fully into
1: it. Um, But, but what's a serious uh, run to WWE? Honestly, (laughs) like (laughs) because you're not gonna. I don't know if you can really that. WWE is such a monster that what's a serious run like? Are you going to outdo them as far as attendance? Maybe for one or two shows here, and it depends on where they are. I don't mean like you gotta say WWE's doing arenas every week where they're putting I would say you know an average what seven eight thousand people in every building, and yeah. not every building, but most buildings, right? Especially for TV, let's say seven or eight thousand. Maybe for untelevised shows, it probably three or four thousand. I don't know, but it's thousands of people every week, right? Hmm. WrestleMania every year has a stadium show. Hmm. The big five shows are in front of packed arenas. That's they they have, have
0: like four. They had four stadium shows this year, actually. We'll yeah, back, two of them were so.
1: overseas, and they were as far as I knew sold out. I don't know. Maybe they weren't. But uh, you got the Rumble, typically sold out. It's probably gonna be sold out again in the stadium. Hmm. SummerSlam sold out, eighteen, nineteen, whatever, thousand people. Survivor Series, Money in the Bank, like those big shows are always packed and the NXT shows are packed. So it's like it's, what's giving them a run really? Doing better ratings than them if they were to get a television deal? I think that's step one. and Maybe mm-hmm. they could do it for like their first show because out of curiosity
0: right.
1: of what's going to happen. Because uh, Rating as like a two point whatever, that's not super high to beat especially if the intrigue level is there Like they can probably pull in a 3 million viewers just off of curiosity but could they sustain that on a week to week basis like what's giving WWE a run really what competition
0: uh, to be I, I, WWE? I mean the short answer for me is just getting a top star uh, maybe uh, and I'm just throwing names like maybe like a Kevin Owens that like he's coming back he's maybe in the main event scene and maybe his contract's coming up and he hasn't resigned yet. No, I I don't think they would keep him in that spot because I, I do think WWE, I mean, they Kevin Owens might be a guy that they do have in that spot with his contract coming up that they might not resign that could leave, you know, at like a high point, um, Maybe it takes a name like that, like kind of like a shocking, like, wow, they didn't resign with WWE and they're going to All Elite Wrestling. Uh, A name like that, like that's the only name I can think of off the top of my head that I don't say it's a realistic chance because I have no idea what the contract situation is. I have no clue if Kevin Owens really wants to leave WWE, but the lesser dates thing always seems to come up when – interviews with guys that left WWF in 95, 96, 97, 98 to go to WCW. Uh, it was always like the lesser dates. It's like more money, lesser dates. Like, why wouldn't you do that? If guys are offered that, at, that are at a high level in WWE right now, why wouldn't they take it? And I think maybe that could be the the, the first step. Like You, you said ratings, and I, I agree with that. But the ability to lure like a big name. I know TNA lured... "Quote unquote big names from WWF like Christian wasn't like a huge name, but Kurt Angle I think was their biggest name that they 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 lured and Didn't really move the needle that much to, to compete, so it's not a slam dunk by any means. Uh, but I do think it, at least the ability to lure a big name from WWE has got to be the first step, G- given them a confidence that they can." they can land guys that are already under WWE contract because they're just interested.
1: That's a big step. I think the first step to me is getting a television deal. That's comparable to WWE. I think that's the first step. Yeah. Honestly, I think then landing a big star would be a big step after that. And then also putting on a good product. You get the television yeah. deal where people can I'll find you. Find you. Yep. People got, people got to be able to find you. You talked about your impact. They got a good product, but no one can find them. Sorry. They get a TV deal that people can find that's comparable, and obviously you don't yeah. want to be on the same night as WWE, but on a different night, let's say Tuesday, because you had the, the Tuesday Night Dynamite thing that's been going around, which is a terrible name for a show. Don't name your show that. Uh, all <laughs> wrestling. I will not watch, probably. If you name it Tuesday Night Dynamite, that sounds like something <laughs> for the 80s that was bad. Um, <laughs> but if they get this Tuesday Night show popping, if they get on the network and they get the Tuesday Night show, that's on a network that people can find. That's First, That's step number one to at least mm. being in the ballpark, right? Yeah. I think people say, oh, this is competi-, and competition. Hey, they're on the, WWE's home plate and they're on the warning track. <laughs> right. Competition ballpark. is good in wrestling, and especially when it comes to the talent because now WWE doesn't have all the bargaining chips and they might have to do right by people. They can't just have people sitting on ice for three mm. years before they ever use them. Right. Do right by them or they leave. And or people can go elsewhere, like that's good for wrestling. And and if if they do compete, that it's only going to make WWE better at some point and raises all ties, right? That's what happened in the nineties. Wrestling was great, but in order to even be in a ballpark, you got to get that first. But competing, it's going to take years to get neck and neck with WWE. Take years. Back in the nineties, WCW had Ted Turner behind it, and WWE had itself. Mess itself up with this product in the mid-90s. People in general had kind of fallen off of wrestling in general. And WWE wasn't nearly the juggernaut it is now. You know what I'm saying? It was still getting yeah. to that point. It wasn't publicly traded in 1996. It wasn't on the stock market. It didn't have movies and, 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 the, and a network. You know what I'm saying? It was just a, really a family-owned wrestling company still at that point. So it was, probably, it was a little bit easier back then to knock it off its perch because they had knocked themselves off it a little bit, and of course WCW came up and was really good. Now they got all those things, <laughs> like they got movies, they got networks, they got, yeah, uh, you know, they're on, they're publicly traded. All these things that that all elite wrestling won't have right now. All elite wrestling is just a wrestling company, and they won't have it probably for years. That's okay, yeah. but in order to compete neck and neck with WWE, it takes so much, and it, it, that won't happen. But can they? Knock on the door. Can they, uh, you know, make make people turn some heads? That's possible. I think that's and that's really all that people really want is make somebody get give somebody give WWE just a little bit of competition and give the wrestlers and the fans in general an alternative that's that people can find too. Because like I said, Ring of Honor still syndicated and you can watch it on their, their network on their website, but. A lot of people still like watching on TV too. Yeah, I think, uh, and you can just look at Ring of Honor and tell they're not competing with WWE. You can just look at it and tell it. Right.
0: When we you talk know. about the competition, I think that's why a lot of people latched on to TNA, and I'm part of that group because back in like 2004, 2005, I I was kind of out on uh, maybe '06. You know, I was kind of out on the WWE product as a whole. I had there were some things I really liked, but then a lot more that I didn't. So you know, with TNA, well, Kurt Angle went You know to TNA, C- Christian went to TNA, and then not even the WWE guys going over, but just, you know, they had AJ Styles, Samojo, Christopher Daniels. They had great wrestling. The X Division was great. Uh, you know, that's what made me lo- like TNA, and that's what made me tune in. So the fact that I was like, wow, like D- they have a legit shot at competing with WWE because they're getting all these guys, but realistically – they they never even came close to no. I, I think competing on, on
1: a on a global scale with them. At they all. had a legit shot of being a viable alternative for talent and for fans, <laughs> and, yeah. and that's all that really was. Competing is more than just oh they got a great show. No, it's competing is yeah. finances too. I like, mean,
0: once you go Monday nights and then you kind of get embarrassed, you know, it's it's kind of like all she wrote back then. You know, it was kinda of like, Oh, you tried and now you're back to Thursdays or whatever day they went to after that. And it was kind of the the fire that people had for TNA, including me, it was kinda of gone because like, yep, there's no way they could compete. You know, that was kinda of like the nail on the coffin with the whole competition. Yeah. Talk yeah. talk, I should say. You know, there was like you said, there was never really any competition.
1: Right. It was just you know, it was fun while it lasted, but uh yeah. <laughs> it didn't last very long unfortunately so on that note uh, let's wrap it up for this week's episode of the straight shooter so Nick please plug
0: away all right you can follow me at Nick Pacone on Twitter uh, I have my main gene videos thread going so I'll uh, continue to add more as we go along uh, so check that out and if you want to you know tell me any moments that are, are in your you know head that you don't see in the thread or you know anything that as part of your favorite me and Gene Okerlund memories, uh, let me know. I'll, I'll find it and I'll add it to the thread. Uh, you could also follow us at shooters radio and on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash the straight shooters and check out uh, medium.com slash Nick. I'm going to finish up uh, a column on all elite wrestling at uh, some point this week. Hopefully I'll have it ready to talk about on the podcast next week. And uh, I'll you know tweet it out, link it out, Facebook,
1: Twitter, whatever. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for that one. There you go. I am at Vaughn M. Johnson on Twitter. Check me out there. And, of course, as, as always, check me out here in these streets because that's where I always am. And just come out at me in general, you know, on Twitter and stuff like that. I'm a nice guy. Facebook as well. You know, at Shooters Radio, as Nick said. You can, you know, interact with us there as well. But, again, let me run down the... Many platforms you can find the Shooters Radio, Straight Shooters, I should say, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart Radio, Spreaker, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, Spotify, SoundCloud, because we are SoundCloud rappers now, and the Mothership wildfireradio.com. You can find one, all 177 prime episodes of the Straight Shooters. We're going now. This will be our fourth year, our third full year, but in August of this year, to be four years of the straight shooters it's crazy to think about, but we're getting there and we'll be there soon enough. So it's been a great rise to this point. Let's make 2019 even better here on the straight shooters. Hell so yeah. for Nick Pacone, I'm Vaughn Johnson. Thanks for listening and watching episode 178 of the straight shooters. And we will catch y'all again next week. Peace. You've been listening to The Straight Shooters on Wildfire Radio. For advertising opportunities, contact Nick Picone via email at piconennick at gmail.com or call 856-625-1190.